Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. <laughs> How's it going? Is this Dave Roderick? Uh, <laughs> you got a little whiff of Dave there. What the hell? Uh, <laughs> counselor? <laughs> Good morning. It's great to be here. Oh, dear. <coughs> oh, I guess I should ask. <laughs> Are you a little under the weather? Yeah, I've got my I've got my fall cold. Mm. <laughs> no one else is sick. It just it just snuck up on me somehow, licking doorknobs. Mm. Um, and uh, sheesh. That's sheesh. interesting. You didn't get it from your kid. Well, she's got an incredible constitution, hmm. and so she'll get sick, and it, they'll just it just sort of bounces right off of her. Maybe she's a carrier. Yeah, that's right. Like a typhoid she's, Mary type situation. She's a typhoid Mary. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never had the experience, honestly, in her whole life, really, of like nursing her while she labors in bed with a with a with a bad cold. You she ever just, had? You ever had an earache? Who me or her? Well, I mean, I like uh, no. I mean, like when I was little, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm pretty sensitive, but like I remember having earaches where I was up all night. Our kid has been sick in the middle of the night in like a you sit with her way maybe twice since she was an infant like she just yeah. doesn't i don't know uh, we're just lucky i guess yeah they're it's a, the a new generation they don't have human feelings and they don't get sick you can't buy a house but you know it's probably a lot of the uh, hormones in the meat we eat a lot of meat oh it's a lot of the hormones yeah yeah or it could just be i don't know she she there might be something you know who knows noodles might be a superfood Noodles. Is that what you call it? Get a basket noodles? Noodles are a superfood. Oh. But boy. if noodles were a superfood, then I would never get sick. And oh. I have always gotten sick from the time I was small. I do not have the iron ironclad uh, constitution that so many people around me seem to have. People people look at a big fellow like you and they think they think, how could it even be? Look at this guy. Yeah, he's Hell gonna die hearty. of a common cold. I'm sorry, man. That sucks. Oh, it is what it is. You know, that's my favorite phrase. It is what it is. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a dumb, frustrating, useless phrase, except that it yeah. is actually very meaningful. It is actually what it is. It is literally what it is. Yeah. And I am, I, I live by it. I live by it is what it is. I think you do. I think you do. I think you do. It is what it is. Mm. It is what it is. <laughs> mm. oh, I am. Uh, I had a cough button. Some mm-hmm. great, some wonderful listener sent us a, sent me a cough button a long time ago. But it requires that I put it in line here. I bought a cough button. It didn't work very well. Really? I think I might have tested it on the program. But I bought a cough button, and it it cut out. I want to say ninety percent of the signal, but you would still get oh. some snot coming in. Oh, you'd hear a little bit of cough in the distance. Did you know you have a software cough button? I do. Yeah, yeah. You want to go deep on the tech for a minute? Sure, let's do it. Do you see, like, when you're outside of the Skype app, go somewhere that's not the Skype app, do you see a little window that says current call? It's got a blue button and a red button or similar? Uh, You're talking about the one that has your face on it? Yeah, it got my face and the time. Yeah, well, sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you hit that, don't hit the red button. Don't hit the red button. If you hit the blue button, button, it mutes. So, ah... uh, 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 
Happy birthday, right. buddy. Give you a cuff right. button. Is there a, is there a keyboard shortcut? <gasps> That's such a good question. I never what checked. About, what about F2 or something? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's one of your function keys. No, no, I don't think so. That's a shame. That's a shame. That should be a key. Seems like it should Let be a key. Look. I must be missing something here. Beep, boop, 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 this is going to be a very tech-heavy episode, I have a feeling. Oh, you can tell. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about in the tech world. Uh, mm. Oh, wait. Okay. Let's try Command-Shift-M. Oh, wait a minute. If you're in That's the app. Uh, did that work? Shift. No, it didn't. Oh. M. Hmm. No, it didn't work. Sorry. You might be overriding your keys from somewhere else. We'll cut all this out. Yeah. I'm sorry you're sick. I still have this sinus situation that's driving me bananas. Oh, I hate that. Ugh, it's the worst. I don't I sleep that. well. No, no, me either. But, you know, I have, uh, so I, uh, because of this, because you of I mentioned the- CPAP, sorry, because every time I mention CPAPs, people come out of the woodwork to tell us we've got to get a CPAP. No, I don't, I don't want to talk about CPAPs. You guys. I don't want to talk about them. I know they've revolutionized people's lives. I know they changed, they changed lives forever. Yeah. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the, like the guy in Dune. Oh, right. You know, the guy in Dune that has a CPAP? Is that, that's not, uh, that's not the guy that, uh, the, the, the fat guy hanging in the air. We're talking about an Atreides. You got that uh, thing, or Max von Sydow, doesn't he stick a thing in his nose? He's got blue eyes from the spice. Don't they all have something in their nose? I think you have to if you're going to go to the spice planet. It's a wormy planet. Oh, it's wormy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I just have a feeling there's one in my future and I want to put it off as long as I can. Now people are going to write me and they're going to say, don't put it off. Don't put it off, Merlin. Your life could change immeasurably in one simple episode. There's a, there's a television program um, that I like a lot and often mentally quote. I don't always audibly quote it, but there's a show on Comedy Central in the 90s called Dr. Katz, Professional Therapist. It was a sure, very, very good, very good program featuring the great Jonathan Katz. And there's a, there's a great Bob Newhart-esque scene where he's on the phone with his father. And he says something along the lines of, no, no, Dad, Dad, it, it's, it's, not, it's not that I don't want to go to bingo with you. I just don't want to see bingo on my calendar. And that, oh, that's, how I feel, that's how I feel about the CPAP. Uh-huh. I just, I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want a device that's there all the time. You know, I don't want it on my calendar. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Prostate mm. exam. Mm. I thought about that this morning. Is that right? Did you give yourself one? Did you give yourself a quickie? <laughs> No, no, but I, I, but I, you know, the number of, uh, number of bathroom trips last night, uh, I was very sick, got up and went to the bathroom a lot and I was like, oh boy, here we go. Hmm. I feel but, like I should go to the bathroom a lot more for how much water I drink. Now see, wow. now people are going to write me. Now people, that's a weird problem no, to don't, have. don't, well, well, I, I do have a, I do have a little, uh, usually at least one visit during the night times. Yeah. And that's when I mean, the panic attacks hit me. Don't write me. Don't email me. This is I'm just as God made me, sir. You do the uh, you do the late night panic attacks? Uh, I have a petite panique. Um not a grand mall. Um, yeah. but no, that that's when this is normal. This is a no, not normal. It's common where that's when you realize that your life is falling apart is when you go to the bathroom. Uh, I think it's pretty common. So I if I just a... stop going to the bathroom, Oh, right. Don't go to the bathroom. That's where bathroom. the fear lies. Mm-hmm. Don't, go out, don't go out into the hall. Your urine is the mind killer. Mm. Death treads in on little cat feet. Cat, cat feet. Yeah. No, and not even the rain has such small hands. Should mm. I show my daughter Dune? Probably not. I don't, I don't think so. No. All right. Absolutely. Should I have her read uh, the books? Um, uh, yeah, maybe. I yeah. don't know. I mean, it depends. Do you want a Dune fan in your family? I don't know. I think it would be kind of cool. I don't want to be the Dune fan, but I would not object to a Dune fan in the family. How does she feel about Rush? 
Um, I've tried. I've tried. She told me that she does not like the kind of music that I like. Oh, and I know she doesn't mean that, or I hope she doesn't mean that. She basically tries to tell me that she does not like rock music, but what does she like? Well, I have, I, I have not forced it on her, but she, the one band that she continues to like a lot and choose to listen to on her own. Don't say Sloan. No, no, I won't. Um, Queen. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And um, on her own, she'll listen, to a, she'll listen to a musical. You know, she likes a lot of musicals. She likes soundtracks for movies well, that she likes. But what is, what is the music that she picks for herself? Does she like contemporary pop music? I think so. Yeah, yeah she likes that band. Like whenever whenever a song comes on a commercial, I say, "Is that is that Cake by the Ocean?" She says, "No, it's Portugal the Man." And the Portugal, and, and, you know, I always get it wrong because uh-huh, I'm a uh-huh. dad. I say, "Oh, Uncle John knows that Portugal period, the Man." Ooh, I'm a baby, yeah, a and that's not Cake by the Ocean. Cake by the Ocean is a different song. Oh, I'm not, I'm not familiar with Cake. You've by probably the ocean. heard it if you've watched MSNBC. You've heard it probably. Um, how does she feel about Imagine Dragons? I don't think she has a strong feeling. The thing is, when she rides around with her mother, they listen to the radio like monsters. And so she does get, or a camp, there'll be songs that get played a lot at camps. Right, Katy Perry songs. Yes, yes. Or just like, you know, whatever that kind of, it's not EDM exactly, but there's the kind of, there is the kind of the boom clap music. You hear a lot of that stuff. Boom clap, boom clap. Yeah. Mm, when I look back at my own music career and I think, if I had just put boom clap as the, as the rhythm part for every song. You could go back. I wonder what my life would be like now. You could pull a Jeff Lynn and re-record your catalog, but with like a, in this case with boom claps. You already got the beard. Oh, I was, oh, oh, oh. I, I was listening to uh, what, what was that that you just did? I think technically oh, that was uh, oh, oh. that was I think technically that was Tarzan Boy, <laughs> which in my head was the uh, the Er boom clap song. <coughs> Whoa! Did you just, did you just mute? I muted. Oh, I heard it. Hey. This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Mac Weldon. You can learn more about Mac Weldon right now by visiting MacWeldon.com. What you need to know is that Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Mac Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Oh, their site is so easy to use. You just put some stuff in your bastic. It's a doddle. You got to try it. Mac Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you'll ever wear. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial. It means they eliminate odor. And uh, they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you. No questions asked. This is a very easy ad read for me, because I, I got these bullets they told me to say. But I'm also going to tell you that I genuinely like Mack Weldon. I know my co-host does as well. And uh, I'm wearing some Mack Weldon right now. I'm wearing Mack Weldon pretty much every day. They are my go-to top layer. I like their uh, Pima cotton tee. A long sleeve shirt. I like their undershirts. Uh, I like their socks. And uh, and I recently got one of their polo shirts uh, as suggested by my friend Dan Benjamin. And I like it a lot. They're basically, I've got more Mack Weldon than any other kind of clothes. And I guess I should probably be kind of weirded out about that. But uh, so far it's working out great. Now listen, not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well. They're good for working out, going uh, going to work, or going on dates, or just having everyday life. you got to check them out. So please go to MacWeldon.com, and right now you can get uh, $20 off your first order with the promo code ROTL, just like it sounds, ROTL. We like the sponsor a lot, and I, I genuinely uh, I like their clothes. So please go check them out, MacWeldon.com. Our thanks to MacWeldon for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. Yay! Um, Baltimore, I believe, was the name of the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tarzan Boy. 
I remember it. Mm-hmm. I remember it. Sure, I don't think I ever was on a dance floor for it, but I, I was dance floor adjacent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm kind of a mess. My sinuses are really bad. Oh, you're uh, not kidding, pal. I, I, a, I, I rewatched, okay. I just want to be real clear, rewatched a documentary about British synthesizer music last night. I rewatched it for this for the second time. Yeah, you and I were talking about that. In fact, I think I watched it. It's like synth, synth, synth Britannia. Well, no, there was the one that was like the history of like Top of the Pops, but there's one called oh, Synth Britannia. It features the normal, a lot of Phil Oakley from uh, Human League. Yeah. Uh, it, it's good. It's real good. The thing about the Top of the Pops show that blew me away was the amount that the three main members of Human League are presently totally normal people who seem friendly and cool and regular. Because Human League, at the time, Mm -hmm. they were so cold, they were so blue, they were so machine. Yeah, they they were so weird and fey and European. But like, there was no, if you think about the music video for Don't You Want Me, mm-hmm. no one smiles in mm-hmm. it. Well, there's that one moment where they cut away and somebody hands her a coffee and she smiles a little bit. Oh, oh, that's right. You're right. Somebody hands her a coffee. Not that I, not that I remember. But, well, I mean, but they, they had a harsher sound and then they came back in 1981 with the dare. But I learned a lot I didn't know. I learned more about, I didn't know a lot about Throbbing Gristle. I knew the name. I learned about that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's why I stayed up late watching that last night. But I love to see them. I love to see all the, you know, it's, it's like uh, people who used to seem so like dangerous and yeah. weird and edgy and like impossibly from another world. Right. Yeah. But also, but also uh, it, they were pop stars in 1981 and they were, they were breakout pop stars, but they'd had hits, I think since the late seventies when the other guy, the guy who then went on to do having 17 used to be in the band. Right, but he found uh, the 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 remaining guy found those two girls who were not singers. They were, they dancers. were just, they were just dancers. dancers at a show, mm-hmm. and they were like eighteen. And now, when you when you see them, you realize, oh, they're like fifty four. I know. And the difference then between when they were eighteen and I was fourteen seemed like they might as well have been made out of space glass. And I was just a, you know, I was just a, a pile of cookie dough. Right. But now it's like, oh, you guys are like, I know 54-year-olds. They're all around me. I, you um, would think that that at some point gets less weird. But I mean, let's stipulate, first of all, at least for me, I still think of everybody that I knew well at a given age in my head is still that age. Yeah. And that's, that's a weird thing, I know. But what you're describing, it's so strange. You think about somebody who was on MTV and you're like, man, that's, that's like a grown-ass person with a career. But they were like they're probably lot, dead by now. Well, a lot of them were five years older than us. Yeah, that's just, just so crazy. It's really upsetting. It's so upsetting. Yeah. All this time. Well, you know, what are they what are, what what is it that we always said? Mm. Uh something. Mm-hmm. Well, you and I used to say things. Oh, we used to say things all the time. No, but like when was McCartney forty five? What, oh, what I, year was McCartney forty five? I think about this. I this morning I was thinking about I wonder what year it was when my mom was my age. We'll McCartney was born in, in like, huh? he was like McCartney was born in what forty one five well no it had to have been before that because in sixty four he wasn't he wasn't nineteen he was oh, really twenty one mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. when was McCartney born forty two is my guess okay are you looking it up yeah 
42. He's, it was, he was born in 42. So he was 45 in uh, 87? 42 plus 45 is 87. Yeah. So he was 45 in 87. 45 87 should be a runner-up to 97 in terms of years that didn't exist. 87 was a strange year. That was when a lot of bands that, that we liked and that had been popular in the early breakthrough American New Wave were having their, like, their, their, I mean, isn't that an era where you'd have, like, a successful In Excess record or you'd have, like, a successful Psychedelic Furs record? Oh, that was the year of the big, or was it 88? The big In Excess record, Kick, mm-hmm. the biggest one, their big hit. That's so weird. Was right in there, 87, I think of them was a 1984-85 band. Well, because like Shabu Shaba. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one thing. Brah. Or earlier, earlier. I mean, they were they were putting out records back when you 2 just was making boy. Mm. Wow, look at you. Nice pull. Yeah, but um, 87 was a kind of a buy year for me. Yep. Uh, but, oh, that's also the year. 87 was the year of um, Bon Jovi's Dead or Alive. I think it's Peter Gabriel's So, frankly. I think So is 85, 86. 86, yeah. Yeah. I pegged that to the year after high school for me. 87 was the year after high school for me, and I was absent. When you look at movies from that year, I didn't see any of them because I didn't. I was gone. I was so gone. The difference gone, between 1987 gone. and 88 in my head, like at least musically, it felt like 10 years. From 87 to 88. Yeah, because 88 and 89 are where a lot of stuff, uh, you know, people always say like you are most, the people tend to be most emotional about the music that they liked when they were like 14. Definitely yeah. when they were in like middle school, high school, stuff like that. But 88, 80, 87 to 88 and definitely 89, like a lot started changing for me. Like I was getting more into like a, like a different kind of music. That was the year that punk broke. That was the year that punk broke for me. I broke my punk water. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I uh I thought probably at the time that I was more or less done with new things in 1987, huh. you know, cuz I was cuz I was growing up now. Mm-hmm. I was growing up in 1987. I didn't You're 19? Need, 1987 I was I was 18 for the majority of 1987. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I felt like I'm buying my own socks now for the most part. Yep. Washing them. Um, well. Yeah, sure. You know, if you get wool, if you get wool socks. There's budgetary issues. Well, yeah, but wool socks, you don't need to wash. You just rinse them. Uh, they just, they fill up with, uh, they fill up with whatever it is that socks fill up with. Mm. And then they become, they become more and more water repellent and more and more. They, they stop itching, right? Because they're like. They they become uh, they become they live their best life is what you're saying a wool sock becomes more mm-hmm. like itself every day. Well, it becomes more it becomes more a part of you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I I was a big proponent of wool then and now mm-hmm. I guess I still am as a as a uh, a winter clothes. It's a, it's a punishing a, fabric. Punishing. Well, I mean, it's not like a modern technical. Oh, it's not a technical fabric. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. Um, it's an it's it's the opposite of a technical fabric. I'm very suspicious of technical fabrics. Is that as right? You may or may not know. Yeah, you're not a fan because, of wicking. Well, because when I was young, I was there. I was there, Merlin, for the invention of Gore-Tex. Hmm. Because we were outdoor people. Um, 
we knew Jim Whitaker, you mm-hmm. know, like we're, uh, we were, we were Northwesterners. And so we had very early Gore-Tex in our family. We had er- early Gore-Tex wow. coats to, you know, dawn of Gore-Tex mm-hmm. <laughs> and Gore-Tex after in that first, in its first iteration, after about five years, it started to separate. It started to delaminate from itself. It started to bubble. And a Gore-Tex coat where it started to bubble, oh, it's a a big disappointment. It's a large blow when you watch your, you know, your favorite Gore-Tex coat just start to, because the, because the technology, the, the technology just wasn't. It was still in beta, mm-hmm. and so as a as a young person, that um, imprinted on me. You can't trust. I didn't feel like I could trust Gore Tex anymore. Oh, I and see. And after that, I really didn't. I felt like I couldn't trust any kind of technical fabric because, mm-hmm. oh, sure, polypropylene. When's yeah. that going to delaminate from itself? Fool me you know once. What I mean? mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, mm-hmm. oh, what if I'm you know, what if I'm hanging from a cliff and all of a sudden my my polypro all comes unraveled because nobody. <laughs> You're hanging by a thread. Yeah, literally. <laughs> literally. Um, so from that point on, I was like, if it's cotton, wool, or silk, I'll wear it. If it's Gore-Tex, I mean, if it's a nylon mm-hmm. that's had Scotchgard sprayed on it, and we all know Scotchgard doesn't work. Hmm. So if Do- it doesn't. Well, I mean, it does, but like. Not really. You can spray Scotchgard on your jacket all day and night, and it's like, well, okay. It's not like waxing your pants. Well, yeah, but the problem with waxing your pants is, the problem with all those wax fabrics is that you perspire, and it doesn't, it doesn't wick. Mm -mm, The opposite of wick. Right, so you get just as wet. It's just, you're wet with your own sweat inside the wax. That's not, I don't really wax my wax jackets. Let's be honest. With that said... I think the developments in like the clothes that children wear to be warm, I'm happy that that's come a long way because we didn't use used to be a pretty blunt instrument trying to keep a child warm. Oh, warm. Well, yeah, maybe not dry, but like, you know, but like us, like I used to have the snowsuits. You'd have like an overalls kind of thing you put on with a jacket to go play in the snow. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, a snowsuit with one zipper, a whole like bodysuit. Yeah, that was fun. It was sexy. Oh, that was so fun. You know they they made a resurgence in the in the late eighties the um like descent ski wear company and Rafe and those all those groups is this when everything got neon it's when everything got neon and and what came back is the unisuit wow. a ski ski person unisuit and my dad had one, which is hilarious hmm. you know I think that they're meant for people that are doing like that are that are helicoptering off of every jump doing sick ollies. Yeah, they're doing like crazy back scratchers and stuff. Yeah. And my dad's like in this nasty, nasty vape tricks. Well, it's pre any kind of thing like that. I get what is a vape trick? <laughs> is it like French inhaling? I mean, how I don't much know. Can I'm you, still not used to it. I'm still not used to being in the car and there's a stoplight and <laughs> suddenly billows of cotton come out of the car. Yeah. I still think it's so strange. You're like people smog. just walk. I mean, I look stupid enough riding a Segway, let's be honest, but people are walking around just blowing serious cotton on the street like that's a normal thing, carrying around this little like dildo R2-D2 thing. It's so strange to me. It's pretty weird. It's pretty future. It's pretty future dystopia, isn't it? I think it's a thing. I think it's definitely a thing. 
That's for shizzle a thing. It so, still so, seems really, really, really juggalo to me, though. <laughs> yeah. And I know that there are vapors that are like, it's not juggalo. No. But it's pretty juggalo. It's pretty juggalo. It's uh, like a suburban juggalo. I heard the juggalo face makeup uh, defeats uh, facial recognition. Oh, I heard that, too. Did you hear that? Yeah, I saw a video just last night, in fact, where uh, Shaggy Too Dope mm-hmm. uh, ran out on the stage and Is tried he an insane to- clown? Uh, Shaggy Two Dope is yeah he's one of the one two of canonical main, clowns. Remember the two? He's insane, first of all. Okay, and he's a clown, and he is part of a posse. All right. Uh, he 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 ran out on stage at a festival and tried to uh, drop kick Fred Durst <gasps> of uh, of Limp Bizkit. One, the maybe the one person in the world that I would love to see drop kicked on stage at his own concert. I oh. cannot think every other person, no matter how I feel about them, I would say that is awful. That's mm-hmm. a total violation of, you don't run up behind somebody when they're performing and like kick them. Oh boy. That's, that kind of defeats the rock code. It's not cool. Yeah. And you know, shaggy too dope, obviously. Too um, jo- I don't Joseph wanna... William Utzler is his, is his, uh, is his name. Hmm. Yeah. Joe Utzler. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he had, uh, I think, in the parlance, he had beef with Durst. Okay, <laughs> okay. Shaggy Two Dope had beef with Durst. This is a long running battle. I think so, a long time mm-hmm. because of some shit where uh, where Fred Durst like gave him the high hat. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. don't get don't give me the high hat. Mm-mm. But he gave him the high hat. Gave him the splash. He did, and so and Shaggy Two Dope was like do you know who I am? Or not even that. He was just like, whoa, who do you think you are? I think we all know who Fred Durst thinks he is. Yeah, we've all, we've all thought we were Fred Durst probably at some point. No. Not you, at all? No, no. No, come on. Playing the no. tennis racket? You don't think no, you were a little no. bit Fred Durst? No, 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 no. Fred hmm. Durst, no. Okay. There is no Fred Durst in me, and I like to think there's no Fred Durst in you. I'll be honest with you. I don't know a lot about Fred Durst. I know he's in that one new metal, new metal band from uh, like the early 2000s. The and less then, you know. The less I know. Did, did, he have, did, he, did he have beef with Britney Spears at one point? I think there was some situation where Eminem, Fred Durst, mm. and Britney Spears got into where um, it was like the worst kind of rap battle where they were both talking about Britney Spears. I don't mm. think she re- I don't think she like put out a Britney Spears song that was like you two dinglings shut the fuck up. They call it a diss track. There was some kind of dissing happening, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you know, back when Axel Rose Axel Rose told Kurt Cobain to shut his bitch up, hmm. that was a rock beef. But, by okay, the but time that happened off stage. He didn't try to drop kick him or anything. No. Okay. But anyway, Shaggy too dope. He's Shaggy not really fit you know he's not mm, like the fitter. Not conventionally fit he's not the fitter of the two okay you know there's like there's like the 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 juggalo who can eat no lean uh-huh and there's the juggalo who can he's totally fat yeah who can is, eat no is violent is violent <laughs> is violent jay the other juggalo yes okay his, his, his name's joseph bruce they're both named joseph they could be called two two cool josephs violent jay is the skinny Jug, jug, <laughs> and um, jug, jug, 
<laughs> learned so much. I think. I'm pretty sure I have this right. Violin J. Anyway, so he ran out on stage. He tried to drop kick him, but he, in, in just like, he couldn't have been more perfect. He jumps up in the air and just, it's not that he misses. It's just that he thought, you see this. Is there a video this, of this that I could watch? Yeah, there is. There okay. Is. You see this a lot in the in the modern era where people have watched fighting on TV or like fantasy fighting so much. They've watched it so much that they think they're good fighters. Oh, sing it. Because they play video games or because they've seen like they so play many. played Mortal Kombat or seen a Jackie Chan movie. They've seen a Jackie Chan movie. So Shaggy Tudup comes running out and he goes to he goes to kick Fred Durst. But you can tell that he thinks that once he goes into the air with his kick posture, that he's going to fly through the air. Oh, uh, like wire work. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Jackie Chan, even. Like if Jackie Chan had jumped at the point that Shaggy Two Dope had jumped, yeah. Jackie Chan would have flown through the air. Right. And probably would have been able to, like, take. Uh, he could have taken Fred Durst's dog tags off. Yeah. And, 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 then, and then flown through a ladder. And, ba- and balanced a teacup on his ass. Yeah, right. And all, yeah. and it would and and no one would have even seen him because it would have happened. Oh, it's Jackie but, Chan again doing his thing. But so Shaggy Two Dope goes up in the air, but then he just falls. Oh no! He like touches Fred Durst on the back with his shoe, mm. and then just falls to the ground. Did he fall on his behind. He just fell on his whole self. <laughs> and Shaggy Two Dope. And Fred Durst turns around. He's in the middle of, you know, like if he, if Shaggy Two Dope had actually connected with him, it would have been dangerous. He would have kicked him in the back of the head. Like, oh. and he's standing on the front of the stage, like doing the, whatever his thing is. I mean, I, I would, I hesitate to call it rap, but he turns around. Fred Durst turns around. And is just like, what the, what was that? You know, he just felt like a. I don't know, it felt like a feather duster, and he was like, oh, man. And just right, he doesn't even recognize that it's Shaggy 2 Dope. He's uh-huh. just like, oh, man, you, could, you, you didn't even pull that off. Like, that's pretty pathetic. Hmm. And then the security, like, hauls him off. It, oh. was, it was a thing where, where <sighs> a thing that I don't, where all of a sudden, for briefly, I felt feelings for people I generally do not feel feelings could for. Could you feel for both of them, kind of? A little. Yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely feel for both of them. But I hate Fred Durst so much. Hmm. I don't want to feel any sympathy for him. I, you don't always get to choose. You can't. You can't choose your feelings. I know it's true. For, uh, I, I'm. I've been. I've been. I. I didn't buy Bitcoin, Mm-mm. but I've been putting money away in the, uh, like with my bookie on whether or not Fred Durst dies alone in a motel. Oh, uh, like an autoerotic thing. Oh, I don't even think that. I think just like, like drinking Sterno. But it, but <laughs> he has he has a thousand lives. He's back. He's back again. It, it boggles. It boggles. Maybe there's something good about him. Maybe somewhere deep inside the the like the mine of Moria that is Fred Durst's soul. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's like some gem or some. I feel like a non-combatant with this because I was aware of, and I'm not saying this to sound like, you know, the hip guy or something, but like th- there are certain kinds of things where uh, I just, I feel so out of the loop perpetually about something where you just mm-hmm. like he- keep hearing a name over and over. Now, see the one who did it for the Nookie? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That, I know that song. I remember that song. He did it for the Nookie. He did it for, uh, and this is the ra- around the time. That cookie. Is this around the time that System of a Down? had that Probably. really good record 
Probably. I think they're technically a noi metal band. System of a Down was the one that had a guy from like Albania or something, right? They're all from, uh, what's the one where the names all end in I-A-N? It's, it's uh, Armenia. I think they're Armenia. all Armenian. I think they're all Armenian. Makeup. Yeah. A little makeup. That's a really good song. Armenia is a very interesting country. My local, my local is owned by by Armenians. They're very interesting right. people. Yeah, yeah, interesting. interesting. I think anytime it ends in I A N, it's often in Armenian. Yeah, but I have a Kardashians. Friend, I think they're Armenians. Oh, sure, of course. Mm-hmm. I have a friend named um, Kazanjan. Okay, Eric Bogosian. I bet he's Armenian. There you go. If uh, if if you talk to John Kazanjan about Armenia, he'll get right into it with you. Well, uh, they got a, they got a lot to be sore about. Well, sure. Mm-hmm. All the world's people. Hmm. You know what I mean? All mm-hmm. the world's people. But then there's times where I just feel like a non-combatant. And I, yeah, I feel like right. in this case, like I, I, I can, I can make light of this because it just, it's, it's like silly young people music to me from 20 years sure. ago. But like, I don't feel like, uh, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know. It, it, yeah. it just seems so strange. It seems like there's a lot of beef culture that mm, beef I culture. don't comment on. Because I a I don't understand it and b I really don't understand it. So like I, I don't want to be unwoke by saying why is um, why is a Nicki Minaj uh, so angry at a Cardi B oh, and yeah. vice versa. So I don't want to be unwoke by saying that because I don't know I don't know. But it might be very unwoke for me to say why do you guys keep arguing with each other? Like like do you really need to fight on Instagram? Like what what is that? But I guess that's a thing, and it would be unwoke of me uh, to presume to say that that's a silly thing. Yeah, but sure. But you're, you're you're both you're both just you know millionaires yelling at each other. Yeah, but you know beef, right? Yeah, sure. That's the thing. That's the thing about watching um, watching Human League look like just normal, <laughs> um, like he looks like the, a, he looks like he could be a dentist. He's like a dentist with a little bit of eyeliner now. Yeah, he's got he's bald. They're both. I mean, they're not chavs or he, whatever. He they're balded. Just he balded uh, with dignity, whereas yeah. Gary Newman is. He's still trying to pull something off there. Oh, is Gary Newman bald? Well, go. You know, you know. You, once you're a guy and you reach a certain age. That's a very good song. You know, this is good. Two Boy Army. Two Boy Army is very good. You go back and look at a Gary Newman circa 1980, and you go, "Enjoy it while you can, kid." Oh, it seems like he's balding even then. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. He's got, he's wearing a piece, isn't he? Well, he's got something going on. He's got a little critter on there. Something my, well, there's a thing that my wife noticed in the indie rock world of of mutual friends of ours. She started calling the hipster comb over where you you could definitely tell that there was a guy doing a hair thing, you know? I don't want to talk about baldness, but I'm just saying good on Phil Oakley. He looks like a dentist and he's real dignified about it. I think the, I think Gary Newman in the eighties might have been putting shoe polish in Hmm, okay. Uh, his hair. If you look at if you look at him, his hair is it's uh, too oh, too yeah. too black too. But too it's black, too strong. No, yeah, but there's no thickness to it. I think it's got shoe polish in it, and then <clears> as it kept going away, now he's got Johnny Marr hair. Oh yeah, yeah, he does. It's a little dark. He's got Johnny. Marr, I'm glad but you it's know who Johnny just, Marr is. That makes me happy. It's not just dark. It's like it's situated on his head wrong. <laughs> it's mislocated. Yeah, it's like wait a minute that you took a you took a to, a toupee mm-hmm. and you shifted it forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's having fun with it. Yeah, and he, he not... took an online uh, he took an online quiz and uh, diagnosed <laughs> himself with uh, with the Aspergers. Good, I say good for him. 
Oh, nice. He's like, uh, so you should take this uh, online okay. quiz. And now, you know, he's, uh, he's, he says he's, it's kind of, the story's kind of confusing because apparently, well, let's be honest, the story doesn't really add up. The story oh. goes something like the year 2000. His wife said, you should take this online quiz. I don't know how many online quizzes there were in 2000, but whatever. He might he have said, been an early adapter. Yeah, well, he's a pilot. You know, he's a pilot. Did you know that about Gary Newman? He's a pilot. I love that. Yeah. I love that he's a pilot. I think he's a serious pilot. Yeah. Uh, like John Travolta level serious? I thought I think he's more well. He's like what John Travolta would wish to be. I think he's more like he drive he drives crazy planes. I, oh. I mean, not like crazy like five wing planes, <laughs> not so like wacky like, planes. But he's <laughs> like Gary a, Newman in a biplane would be fun. La la la. Great. He's like a John uh, a John Denver level of oh of too soon. Pilot. Sorry. Where was I but. going with this? Gary Newman. So anyway, but then retroactively, he says that he had been diagnosed with the Asperger's when he was 12. So I think the whole story is kind of confusing. Well, you know, I have that same problem with the, with the, like, when did you, when did you know you were bipolar? And it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know, man, a long time ago, but I didn't start, I didn't believe it. I mean, I believed it, but I, but I didn't, I believed it, but I didn't believe that it was a thing. Do you know, uh, John Moe? Are you familiar with the guy, John Moe? So John Moe uh, got his start in public radio in yes. Seattle, and um, and he had some he had some shows here in Seattle that were early versions of a kind of like let's talk about the new not early versions in the world but early versions in John Moe's career of mm -hmm. like hey I got a panel of five interesting Seattleites and we're going to talk about the news That's that cool. kind of mid midday show okay and so I was a guest on his program. Uh, a few times, but John Moe was a was a big uh, a booster of the long winters. He was oh, like, that's that's cool. You should be on his podcast. Well, so here's the thing. His podcast. Okay, here's come, the put thing. A, put a fork in mine because I want to come back to mine. But go ahead. Here's the thing. All right. So here's the thing. Do you know about so, his podcast that he does? Hang on, hang on. Here's I do know about it. I know all about it. John Moe, big uh, long winters booster. John Moe moved. Uh, he lost his job in Seattle. The the radio station here doesn't know how to keep listeners. They keep changing their format. And they decided, the public radio station here in Seattle decided that people listening to radio, you can guess where this came from, right? It came from somebody in the head office. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to hear long form radio anymore. We're going to stop doing these half hour shows where people talk to each other. We're going to go to a format where it's just one segment after another. You know, like 10 minutes is the longest we're going to have any guest. Like just, they just, they betrayed what public radio is really all about. And probably ended up serving their audience poorly by guessing what it was that they wanted. Yeah. They're, what that they're, happens like, a lot with public radio. We want to get young people listening to public radio. And it's like, what? I mean, mm -hmm. just whatever. Leave it alone. Anyway, they, they, uh, they, they, uh, they offshored John Moe. And so he moved back to what we all know to be the headquarters of all public radio, the mm -hmm. font of public radio. It's basically the, the gateway to the center of the earth mm -hmm. of public radio, which is St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah, not Minneapolis. No, no, it's all in St. Paul. Totally different head. Totally different head. Uh, they, got, they got walls and microphones there. Mm -hmm. I, did a, I did a show there once, and the guy opened a cabinet, and there was, I mean, you know, and it's all old, like, all old heads from top to bottom, all mm -hmm. old heads all the way down. He's like, oh, let me put a mic on that for you. And he opened a cabinet and there was probably $10 million worth of vintage microphones. Wow. That's St. Like, Paul. What the hell is that sarcophagus? And he was like, he chuckled in that kind of old man with a old man with, with um, suspenders kind of way. 
He was like, oh, you like that, do you? <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Some people, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway, John Mo went up there. He started a show. He started a show, which was his like variety show. And he, he started on Twitter and he got good on Twitter. And we were pals. We were pals from the old days. You know what I mean? We were yeah. both on Twitter in the fun times, pals from the old days. Uh, and John Mo was, I thought, very good at Twitter. Lots of laughs, good times, good times, great oldies. He mm-hmm. started having variety shows. He started getting people, uh, he started, you know, attracting guests who were of a certain caliber. Uh, Paul F. Tompkins, John Hodgman, you know, he's not attracting guests that are like George Clooney, but mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's he's now in that gang, right? The gang. Mm-hmm. Paul F. Tompkins, John Hodgman gang that, that a lot of people want to be in. It's a, a murder of micro-celebrities. Yeah, that's right. Like, like, yeah, a murder of micro celebrities. At which point, so I was on his show a couple of times, but both times it was a show. It was like Hodgman and I were on tour. He wanted Hodgman, and I was the musical guest. And I enjoyed it, but he and I were communicating offline, and I was like, "You should have me on your show." And he said, "Well, the people that put on the show." are looking for, you know, musicians that are looking for, you know, uh, it's not that he said they were looking for it. It was, he gave me the, he gave me the hi-hat. Oh, no. A little bit. Because he was like, he was booking A.C. Newman. Oh, I see. Okay. And Mm -hmm. so the problem is, right, that it was, it was a thing where the, the, the celebrity musicians that are at the same level as Paul F. Tompkins and John Hodgman are, like celebrity, whatever they are, comedians, I guess, are the AC Newmans of the world. Now, I perceive that to be definitely AC Newman is a bigger musician than I am. Just, just, just bigger, you know? Like when the indie rock coffee table book is written, mm-hmm. the new pornographers will be in it. You think they'll be closer to the front? The Long Winters will not be in it. Okay. You might be in an appendix. Yeah, barely. Mm. Or like, I don't maybe know about that. You know. No. No. But the fact that John Moe and I have a long history and are friends and that I also am not just a musician, but like am part of the, I'm, I'm, you know, a junior member of the murder of micro celebrities made me feel like, come on, you're the host of the show. It's your show. Don't, don't, don't put this off on, mm-hmm. on, on people, on somebody in the back office. Was he, giving you a, the he was giving you a, my hands are tied. Yeah. He was giving me my hands are tied. Mm-hmm. But what it was, was he was intoxicated by his proximity to this world of, uh, of, I mean, you know, it's again, not celebrity where you go, Oh, but it's NPR celebrity, like the McSweeney's celebrity. Yeah. And so there were a couple of these where I was like, Hey, you're having a show. And, um, everybody on the show is somebody that I've collaborated with. This would be a good opportunity to have me as the as the guest and he was like oh you know i got sorry my hands are tied and um and little by little i started to feel a resentment Mm -hmm. now you know how this is with me you steam a a little bit of resentment right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, i know yeah and i even said to him hey why are you giving me the Mm hi-hat and he was like oh my hands are tied oh i was like you're not even gonna you're not even gonna acknowledge that you're giving me the hi-hat 
And so then, you know, times went on. He lost that job at the, and again, I don't think for a minute through any fault of his his own, but it's like public radio. It's a, it's a dog eat dog world. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Merlin, we mm-hmm. get to the meat of the story, which you were, were, which you were trying to jump ahead to, which is he started a podcast called the wonderful world of depression. Hilarious world of depression. Hilarious world of depression. Now, John Moe and I have by this point known each other for 20 years. John Moe knows, I think, pretty well that I have not only suffered from uh, depressive illness, but but do so publicly. Mm-hmm. But I have never heard from John Moe. I have never heard an invitation to come on his hilarious world of depression mm. because he is so... He is so, uh, he, because he believes that he, he and his show are at the Tig Notaro level of depression oh. guests. Okay, okay. And that I'm not going to drive the numbers or something. Yeah. And I just feel like that kind of hi-hat when you're talking about a podcast about depression. That's that's a lot of hi-hat. I, I take your point. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, I, you know, John Moe is on my list of people that when I get when I finally put out that long winner's record, when finally the world notices me mm-hmm. and says, all those episodes of Roderick on the Line are going to be in the Library of Congress mm-hmm. because of all of the help that they gave people. And John Moe comes. He's probably 80 now, mm-hmm. 80 at that point. I'm about 79. And he's like, I want you on my show. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, now you want me on your show? Yeah. Just waiting. I'm just waiting. He'll be. He'll be. He'll, his show will be the hilarious. The hilarious world of living in a home. <laughs> and what will you say when he invites and you? I'll, just, I'll be like, oh, say, now, oh, oh, now. Can't do it. My now, hands are. My hands are tied. I'll be like, look, sorry, I've yeah. got. Uh, that's the day I have to like comb the nits out of my dog's. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm awful sorry to hear that. I think you'd be good on that show. I don't think I don't. You know, I I like to think that my list of resentments, mm-hmm. which includes Fred Durst on it somewhere, depends huh. on how long how many pages you go to. It depends on how oh. many pages you go to on the list. Yeah, how much time have you got? Right. But I, but I like to think that most of those names on the list are grayed out. If you click on them, the hyperlink is dead. Okay. Oh, oh, that's a very good way to put it. If you mouse it's, over uh, If it's blue, it's mean it's already visited. Like the Colin Malloy one is blue because it's already been visited. Sure, sure. I've got no, I've got, Colin and I have is nothing. Is blue or purple? But, but you've already, you've already clicked on purple. Colin. It's purple. It's purple, okay. Right, but the blue ones. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're, like still, they're still fresh. They're fresh and you can still, you know, you can click on them and go look at the wiki. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think that I've culled that list down to, to not be a constant source and not a constant dragon on my back. Mm-hmm. And I, and I know that a lot of the CPAP people are going to write and say, like, if you had a CPAP machine, you wouldn't feel those resentments. Yeah. And you wouldn't imagine there's a dragon on your back. Yeah. Get a monkey it's on a, your dragon. Well, a dragon attack, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Dragon attack. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Heart attack. <sighs> um, um yeah. but so anyway, I'm sorry I to hear would, that. That's a shame. I don't, I don't like to hear about beef. Well, you know, I mean, what do you do, right? You get in, you get into the, you get into the hilarious world of micro celebrity. Yeah. And then you're just, you're walking around, you're walking around the hall, you're walking up to people and going, Hey, I like what you do. And you know, and they go, they, they give you the high hat. Um, 
You know, I walked up to Idris Elba one time at a party. Okay. And I was like, I like what you do. And he said, thanks, mate. And then we stood there and talked for a minute. I would melt. Now, he didn't have any reason to stand there and talk to me. The room was full of He seems like a gentleman. He was a gentleman. Mm -hmm. And he stood there, and there was somebody waiting to talk to him that was like one of his people. And he, he did the thing where he gave me two minutes of his time. And we had like a, we had just some kind of passing chat. And then I was like, because I'm also not a monster. I was like, well, it was nice talking to you. Thanks for taking a minute with me. And he was like, yeah. you know, it was a pleasure and shook hands and off he goes and off I go. It's all Perfect. it takes. Perfect. Idris Elba, right? Idris Elba. He's like, he didn't need, he didn't, there was nothing about me that need, that El, Idris Elba looked at and said, well, I might, this guy might be somebody, right? Yeah. He's not running like a uh, social media credit check on you. No. You know what I'm saying? No. You get that feeling sometimes with people that they're like running a check. They're going, yeah. hmm, what's the, what's, the, uh, what's the ROI on this? Uh, That's right. For me. And he said, he, he looked at me, I was wearing a green blazer that looked like I had won the Masters tournament, but I clearly had not won the Masters tournament. Hmm. And he was like, oh, this guy's in a green blazer. Everybody else is in a freaking tuxedo at this party, but all right, I'll give you a couple of minutes just to see, you know, just to see, just to... It's, I, I don't think he was like, I'm just being polite either. I think he was like, man, world's full of interesting people. Let's see. That's all it takes. That's all it is. It's not that, not that hard. It's have not have that a little hard. kindness. Have a little, have, try a little tender, tenderness. Try a little, try, <laughs> try a little tenderless. Try a little tenderless. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so anyway, uh, in the Hilarious World Depression, Chris uh, Gethard, I think his name is, was on. And is I was that a famous person? I think so. Yeah, yeah. How's how Chris? How's Chris Gethard famous? Oh, he's a comedian. He's a comedian. And he's done comedian. shows, and he's he's out there. Mm-hmm. But TV um, shows. Well, he was in that. I think he was in that improv movie. Uh, he's done lots of comedy things, and he's been on, I think, off Broadway and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, so he was talking about his hilarious world of depression, and mm-hmm. um, and um, but this goes back to something a long time ago. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but the thing, like, you know, how did you know like, when you had this situation? And I think when you talk about, so when, well, what was your point originally? The, the original point from a long time ago was something like, you know, when did you realize that you're bipolar? And, and it's sort of like, well, it depends. Like how, how, how much should I, how much did I realize? Did I have a name for this? Did I know, right. when did I know this was, when did I know this didn't feel good? That comes first, right? When, mm. when do I notice there's a thing? When do I notice it doesn't feel good? That's a long time for most people. That's a long time before you get to, here's a name for what I have, what I live with, let alone, here's the thing I'm doing to ameliorate it. I just, I just think it's worth, it's worth mentioning for our own sanity that it's, it, it's, a, it's a really long continuum between like, I've realized there's something in my life that's not normal, let alone that there's a name for, or names for the things that I have. Don't, would you agree? Was there a time in your life when you look back and think, that you felt like you were normal and happy and in and and things were simple and you were you you belonged. Yeah, I think so. I mean, when? I think well, I mean, a fair amount of my childhood I felt mostly kind of normal. Oh, I, I mean, mean as a, as an adult. Um well, I think there was a time in my mid 20s was one of the first or second times where I felt like I had kind of arrived. 
uh-huh. where I'd gotten above where I thought I would be in life, and I felt, mm, if not successful, at least like like I wasn't a failure. Uh-huh. I've had that a few times. Um, but, I mean, I, I've never felt like I fit in. And mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not saying that for clapping. I'm not, I mean, but I, I mean, like, I, I, I guess part of the trick, as we've said before, part of the trick is realizing that at the time when you see people who are really popular in middle school and high school, you don't realize that they could be the most super broken inside. We don't mm-hmm. learn, you don't learn until you're a grown up that most bullies were bullied. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't, well, you don't n- learn that in a way that you internalize that they could be, I'm not, not to apologize for bullies, but that those are people who are acting the way they are acting because something probably kind of terrible happened to them. Nobody wants to behave the way that they're behaving. Nobody wants to be that weak and needy. Um, but then you get a little older and you go, Oh, that makes sense. Right. Or like you go, Oh man, that friend of mine who always wanted to do like, you know, road trips at two in the morning, they might've been a little bipolar, you know, mm-hmm. and we didn't have a, you don't have a, you don't have a name for that. Um, but I, you know, I mean, I, I don't think there's that much I had going on that was super chemical. It was more emotional and social health that I was not always good at, which could have, which could have a, uh, I mean, it's a courant to, to put all of that on chemistry, but I think there's a lot of stuff that I could just write down to not being very socially and emotionally adept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do think there's a difference. I, I mean, I, 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 it's tempting to say that everything can come down to a specific kind of chemical thing. But I don't know. I mean, certainly, I, I do imagine that I probably had ADHD my whole life, but mm-hmm. also that there were just times where, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here, and I probably shouldn't be here. Like, mm-hmm. everyone else seems to understand what to do at this event, and I think this feels like a scientific experiment. <laughs> I, I, I still a lot of times feel that. And then eventually I might get into it or whatever, but, like, I, had a, I definitely had, like, a certain sense of, I don't know if it was narcissism, but a, definitely a sense of otherness. Of like the reason I don't have more friends is because I'm just weird and shouldn't have friends probably. Uh huh. At times, at times. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. I think that the like the the difference, and I think this was true when you and I met, or I mean, it was on display, and <laughs> uh, in, in our friendship from the beginning was that like I've I've always felt that I had pretty much all of the I I had a social understanding of how to work a room and how to meet new people and how to feel like I belonged. That was never, it was the sort of the opposite of what you're describing, right? I, I, just, I described this to my daughter. We were watching a movie we all like in the house, the Ocean's 8, the Ocean's mm-hmm. 11 remake with all women. And we it's watched that. Movie. It's a really fun movie. I mean, Hilarious. it's got some plot problems in the third act, but, sure. um, but, I, but the thing where we, my daughter and I went and saw it in the theater and I love, I don't want to spoil it for people because it's a fun movie, but what Sandra Bullock does at the beginning of that movie Mm-hmm. where she just walks into everywhere she goes, she walks in like she owns the place. Mm-hmm. I said that right there. That, that's what John Roderick does. I said, mm. that's, that's the thing you need to know. If you ever want to go somewhere, act like, act like you belong there. Don't mm-hmm. act like you need permission to be there. I said, that's an important thing I learned from John. Yeah, that's right. Do not ever. Don't, it's not even act. Don't think that you need permission from anybody to be anywhere. Yeah, is it cool that I'm here? You know, <laughs> don't do that. <clears throat> I feel like that when people come and like service our appliances, I'm like, should I go? <laughs> yeah. Is it cool that I stick around here in my cool own that kitchen? I'm in my house? <laughs> I mean, I definitely say to people that are, that are doing a job when I'm standing there looking over their shoulder, I'm like, look, if you want, like, if you want an extra 50 bucks just because I'm sitting here looking over your shoulder asking you what you're doing, 
I'm willing to pay it. Sure. I'm, 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 willing, to, I'm, not I'm willing to give you fifty extra dollars. I know it's a pain <laughs> in the ass. But I'm gonna ask you every single every mm-hmm. single tool you pick out of your toolbox, I'm gonna say, What's that? <laughs> uh, uh, flathead yeah. screwdriver, huh? What are you doing now? Interesting. Well, what, so what do you do? So what would happen if you opened that and it was full of crickets? bees? Yeah. <laughs> what would you do then? What tool yeah. would you reach for then? You got be I'll give you. I'll give you fifty dollars for that. Yeah. But no, the the problem for me was all uh, was all internal, right? I just was. Um, and it wasn't the it wasn't the stoner problem of like, are they looking at me? Are they laughing at me? It was it was just entirely one hundred percent. Just uh, just an internal loop that had nothing to do with other people. Hmm. Um, like I, you know, I assumed they were looking at me, and I didn't care if they liked me. Or I mean, that's not true. But but the the the, the spinning the spinning was all just like in my own in my own uh, like uh, trash compactor. Mm-hmm. Um. So so but but when I look back at my adult life. There's not really, there was a period right after I got sober where I felt like I get it now. I had a new group of friends. They were all, they were all fun. They were playwrights. They were actors. They were smart. They were like goofy. They were beautiful. I thought they were beautiful. Um, They had a certain kind of just grace and elegance. And as time has gone on, that group of people, that 10 group of friends that I made right after I stopped drinking because at the time they were people that were in, they were on the fringe of the world that I lived in and I had seen them, but I didn't, but they were kind of also invisible to me because if I was sitting in a bar and one of these people came in, I recognized right away, they were not going to buy me a beer and hanging out with them was not going to get me into a posture where there were any right. drugs. Can, can I tease something out here? I, I, yeah. I feel like you've said this before, but I just want to tease it out if it's true. Yeah. Um, was there an overt thought on your part when you cut yourself off? Was there an overt thought on your part that you need to just not be around that same group of people that you've been yeah. with? Well, I knew, I knew it because when I first got sober, I continued to try and hang out with my old pals and all they wanted to do was go to the bar and I would go to the bar and I would sit there and, and watch the, watch the, the sunlight move across the wall while everybody else was drinking pitchers. And I think I've probably told you the story. I was sitting with a group and a, and a good friend of mine sitting across the table. Um, he said something, I don't remember. It didn't, it's not like it was mean or it didn't offend me or anything. I just was sitting there and I picked a lighter up off the table and I lit his soul patch on fire. <laughs> and he was like, jumped up and was putting out his soul patch. And he was like, what the fuck? And everybody jumps up from the table. And I stood up and was like, that was totally, I don't know where that came from, but clearly I do not need to be here uh-huh. in the, in this bar with you guys. I'll catch you later. And I got out of there because it was, you know, what happened was I was, I was sitting there and I was like, this is fine. I'm, I, I don't need to drink. I'm fine. I don't, you know, like, Bars this are is, not always super fun if you're not drinking. Oh, not at all. It's but not the I kind was, of place where you would go to not to not drink. But it was they were the only place I knew to go my whole since I was 20. Right. I just transacted every every single aspect of my social life in bars. So I didn't know where else to be. But I I was sitting at this table and these guys, my friends were sitting there talking and I was fine. I was just like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. This is easy. And I looked over and the bartender, I just caught a glimpse of the bartender take a last 
intense drag off of his cigarette. You know, that one where you're holding the filter kind mm-hmm. of, you, you're yeah. squeezing it between your They're holding thumb, it like a joint. Yeah. Middle finger. Yeah. And you just like take that last drag of the cigarette and then he put it out in the ashtray with that kind of like old man bar fly sort of like it's not just like you're dabbing it out you're like scrunching you it make out a little uh, angry curly nub yeah you're just like grr, grr. and i saw this gesture that he made and i was just hit with a tidal wave of feeling of like oh shit like that's the drama that real life is made of this is the these are the times this is the you know like what am i doing with my life why would i ever think to quit drinking because drinking is like how you express all of the many many complicated feelings you have about the world and what am i an artist or am i just a am i just a normal i like it all hit me in it with like a bowling ball shot out of a cannon and I turned and I lit my friend's soul patch on fire. And then I was like, I can't be in this bar. <coughs> and I never went back. I never went back to that bar. I stopped hanging out with those guys. Hmm. Um, not because of anything they did. They were still totally good friends. I was a little embarrassed that I'd lit his beard on fire. It wasn't a beard, though. It was a soul patch. Yeah. But no, I went and I found this other group of people that, and it was crazy to me, um, they just didn't, drinking just wasn't part of what they did. They just didn't, I mean, you know, if you gave them a beer, they'd drink it or whatever, but they didn't need a second one. Mm-hmm. Blew me away. And I felt for a brief moment there, for for nine months or something, I felt like, oh, I'm on a path. I'm on a path to a place where I belong here. Because these this group of people just feels like they have access to a whole other way of living where you're just making little art things. And it's like, let's let's write a play. Okay, let's do it. And let's go down in the basement and jam and you be the drummer this time. Um, like a, like fun. Mm-hmm. But then I got in my first relationship with a, with one of the people in that group. And I immediately, all of the problems that I'd ever had were all still right there, you know, like problems with intimacy or whatever. I was like, Oh, it's, it wasn't about being drunk. That was actually not the problem hmm. in this way. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was the problem in, like since I stopped drinking, how many times have I been arrested? Not very many. Mm-hmm. How many times had I been arrested before I stopped drinking? Mm-hmm. More, by by a fairly large margin. So I at least solved that problem. But like the the problem of being in a relationship, I it was like oh fuck. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd I thought that the stopping drinking was solving everything. Turns out no. <sighs> And the tragedy is that a lot of that group of people, those 10 people, they su- they suffered they suffered also. I mean, their lives none of none of us really from that group achieved the promise of those early years. You know, a lot of the actors became professional waiters in other words. Mm-hmm. And um and that's that that hurts me a little bit cuz I think back at that group and I'm like, "Oh, you know, this was this group had so much, had so much kinetic energy. It's only a matter of time before somebody becomes a, you know, before somebody makes a piece of work that's like totally great. And it's a little weird to think that maybe I was the one that did, you know, Mm -hmm. 
because I, yeah, that's a little, that's a little weird. Sometimes it's, um, if you're seeking, uh, a state in life that you've never been in or haven't been in much, any kind of a state that like you regard as being a positive way to be, I think it's regardless of your age, but maybe especially at certain younger ages, it's, it's sometimes very difficult to know what you need to add and what you need to remove to get closer to that thing, let alone to fully inhabit that thing. Uh-huh. And I, I think sometimes there are, I'm, I'm not by any means trying to say you shouldn't stop drinking, but like that there are sometimes there are some red herrings along the way that are deceptive because like anything where you haven't developed the expertise based on experience, a lot of it is kind of guessing or looking at, um, sort of circumstantial evidence. And it's certainly fair to say, like, oh, I might get a little more clear-eyed and get to hang with some playwrights if I wasn't, you know, super drunk all the time. Right. But, like, then it, I think there's a certain, and this could be things about about weight loss, mindfulness, like, there's all mm-hmm. kinds of things where just because you got rid of what you regard or come to realize, just because you got rid of what you realize is the big negative in your life, it, it does not mean that all of those things are going to get better, let alone get way, way better. And I think that can be a strangely empty existential feeling in some ways. This is not anything particularly deep, but like I, I do, I do think that's a funny thing. When you don't have the expertise and the experience, what happens could be real different from what you expected to have happen. It's not so different from a certain kind of magical thinking because you haven't experienced it yet. You know, you, you've never gotten to the place where you feel like, well, you're a ex- successful executive or you're a grandfather of seven or whatever it is. And removing that one thing, you know, is a definite obstacle. It might be the biggest rock in the road, but just getting rid of that one thing doesn't mean everything's going to go the way you expected. And I think that can be very disappointing. Yeah. Do you still think, is there a part of you that still <clears throat> thinks that there's a magic pill for feeling better? Yeah. I mean, or, or do you think that there's some transformation that could happen where you, uh, where you were significantly different and more like if you just did something like stop eating potatoes Mm -hmm. or something like that? Yeah. Just go run more or something. Just run more. Mm -hmm. Do Do you still feel, do you still like have any, any investment in from an, on a day to day basis? Like, oh, if once I get that, once I figure out that. Do you have that, any of that? I have a it's, a, it's a very good question. I have kind of a mixed, funny feeling about it, because I think I know what you're talking about. Um, one thing, let's see, how shall I put this? Um, the, being somebody who's anxious has, over time, led me to realize some very interesting things. And one of those things is that anxiety in an anxious person very rarely just goes away. You just become anxious about something else. So to cut a very long story short, one part of trying to live as an anxious person is to realize that like you could be, you could find 17 different silver bullets for fixing it. But another approach is to realize that this is a part of your life and it, but it doesn't have to define who you are. Right. Um, Just in that sense of like, you know, you think, think about any kind of thing where you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling like you can't just can't handle life. And you think about this stack of stuff that's like piled up in your life. And in most, I suspect that for most people, there's one big thing at the top that's like your most like dread and scary thing or like the thing you, the thing you obsess about, the thing you worry about, the thing you think could be your undoing. Well, if that thing magically disappeared, is there any chance that within a 36 hours, 
the number two or three one pops back up to that spot and you have that same feeling. Now, for a lot of people, that answer may be no. It's like, no, I just need to fix this one thing. I just need to get my car repaired or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, but something I think about is like wondering, um, well, if, I, if, this is, if this is the way that I am, and I'm not sure there's exactly a pill, please don't email me, to fix it. Um, there are ways to make my body feel less anxious, but I don't know if that's going to change my basic uh composure as somebody who gets anxious about things. Right. And so my route in some ways has been slightly more kind of cognitive behavioral, which is more to, to realize, um, well, you know, what if everything's not a catastrophe? And what if this is just a feeling that I have? So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it does. I, well, I, just because I feel like there is this, maybe this is an American thing, but there is this kind of entitled feeling we all have, which is like, there's this stuff that, that's getting in my way. And sometimes we have enough insight to realize those are things we've put in our own path. But a lot of times we look to other people and we blame our parents and we look at all the different reasons that things are the way that they are. And I don't mean to sound like Ayn Rand, but like, I, I think at a certain level, you just have to say, well, what is it you're trying to accomplish here? What, what is it that's preventing you from taking steps toward that today? And like, it's sort of like I, I said to you a couple of weeks ago in, in like a funny back and forth was like, well, these are the, were you, I think what I'd said to you was, um, your, your thought about whether you're worrying about this right thing enough. And I said, well, does that help you? And you said something like, I don't know yet if that's helping me, mm. but you feel the need to keep turning it over. Mm-hmm. So I try to say to myself, just like I'd say to a good friend, um, ask yourself whether th- those repetitions in your life and mind are things that are helping or hindering you. And then be open to the fact that like, that may be a thing you're kind of allowing or even visiting upon yourself. In which case you you do some basic mindfulness stuff of saying, well, here's a bad feeling I'm having right now. And I, that's a bad feeling I'm having, but it's not who I am. So I don't know if that answers it. I don't know if there's a pill for stuff. I know enough people who've got on the right kind of medication that they went from very, very low to feeling um, not horrible, let alone feeling pretty good. I've had a lot of people mm. in my life who were able to go from unmanageable to feeling manageable, mostly. Mm. Mm-hmm. But... I suspect that it's very rarely as simple as that because we don't know what other kind of, it's like, like when you go and take a supplement and you say, well, this has ginseng in it. Well, it's got ginseng plus what else? Like yeah. you hope that's the right amount of ginseng, but who knows what other garbage is in there? Or we, we all have, we all have garbage in our life that we can look past because we're obsessing about that thing at the top of the stack. And, uh, I don't know. It's not really an answer, but that, that's how I, that's how I think about it. For me, the, the, Bipolar medicine was very, very akin to quitting drinking in the sense that I had an initial flush of, uh, but the thing about quitting drinking is that there was a lot of pain in, and this is something that I, I, I try to say to people who want to quit drinking and it's not what anybody wants to hear. But it's like, you, you quit drinking, and, and because, because what I do is I get a lot of emails from people that are like, I haven't had a drink in 30 days, and I feel amazing, and I'm never going back, and I'm kicking ass right and left. I'm working on the great American novel, and I've repaired my relationship with my sister, and, and I always am like, whoa, awesome, but slow your roll, because that, those feelings that you're having are exactly the feelings that are going to cause you to pick up a drink. Like, it's not like that. <clears throat> you do not quit drinking for 30 days and all your problems are solved and you're back in the, you know, and all of a sudden your greatness is revealed. Like, six months, 
and you're six months of, of being sober and you are, um, and you're still a three legged dog, you know, and you go up and down all the time. But the, the challenge is not that you stopped, you stopped boozing and all of a sudden, you know, it's smooth sailing. The challenge is every day you just try not to have a drink because mm-hmm. tomorrow's going to suck. And the first, you know, the first nine months of quitting drinking was just, it was just a cascade of pain for me. Taking bipolar medicine was not that at all. It was um, instantaneous almost feeling of like, whoa, the the really awful, awful feelings are gone. Now, what I did, of course, was immediately buy a vintage RV, like <laughs> within hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh-huh. uh, and then hey, I you weren't running down. for office, right? Well, no, I, I had just stopped. I mm-hmm. just stopped running for office. So that the running for office was my last truly great manic episode. It didn't this remind me though? Just I want to get the timeline right. But wasn't this concomitant with you having a little bit of a health scare and going to the doctor? So during the during running for office, you know, it was like. It was one of those summers in Seattle that we never used to have that now we have, which is like, oh, it's 100 degrees all week. Like, that's weird. It used to be that it would get to be 100 degrees in Seattle once a decade. And now it's like, oh, there's five days of 99 degree weather. And I was going to 10 events a day all over the city where I would walk into an unair conditioned room. (laughs) Room full of angry people. Where everyone was angry and they had turned the lights off in in order to try and like, I don't know, cool it by one half degree. So you're in some auditorium or someplace where it's like, you know, people are fanning themselves. But still they came out of their houses to come down here and yell at city council candidates. And I had just gone to the, um, it just had a meeting with the board of the, um, the, International Brotherhood of Carpenters or whatever. This was the one where where they, they said, we're against Arctic drilling as much as the next guy. And I was like, yeah, Arctic drilling. Like Seattle plays a large role in in the staging of Arctic drilling equipment. And I think we should wean ourselves off of that because I think Arctic drilling is a de- is dead issue. And they were like, we agree 100%. But what if I told you that the Arctic drilling equipment provided 50 carpentry jobs Hmm. for local carpenters. And I said, well, I would say that the carpentry union needed to also wean themselves off of Arctic drilling dollars. We all have to pitch in here. If we're not going to create an environmental catastrophe that lasts a millennia, we need to stop drilling in the Arctic. And that means that 50 carpentry jobs are going to, have to be redirected to other places. And they were like, hmm. And you could see them all put a big black X mark on their little piece of paper where they were. And I was like, uh, so did I, did I pass? <laughs> and they were like, thanks for coming by. It's like, oh, I see. You're a politician. You always say, we should preserve those carpentry jobs at all costs, even if it means destroying the Arctic. Anyway, I left that meeting and they gave, I drove They gave home. me the hi-hat. They gave me the hi-hat. The union hi-hat, which is not the one you want. I drove home and I was going to have like 30 minutes to sit at home and drink an ice water before I had to be at the next thing where a bunch of people were like, 
So here's a scenario. What if there was a global socialist revolution? Which side hmm. would you be on? Hmm. And I <coughs> and I was running in and I jumped up on my porch on my way into the house and I felt my heart go bloop bloop. Oh, I was like, oh no. And the thing is, my good friend, Darius Minwala, who was the drummer of the Posies, who uh, had drummed with the Long Winters on several occasions, who was like Eric Corson's roommate, who was Mike Squires' best friend, who was uh, like a, a great dude and a good friend of mine for a decade. Darius sat down on his, uh, sat down on the couch. Oh, and also Darius, 38 years old, sat down on the couch, opened his laptop, Googled heart attack and died. What? And that's, and that's how they found him with his computer open with heart attack. Googled. Oh, shut up. Are you serious? Mm -hmm. Just like, just died 38 years old. And so we were all just rocked by that. And so I jump up on my porch, hundred degrees outside and my heart goes bloop. And I'm like, Oh, is this, this is kind of like when the hatchet fell on me in the barn. I have a feeling now where I'm sitting down. Am I just, am I like a dead man walking? Is this the, is this situation where Uma Thurman has given me the seven dragons treatment? Hmm. And as, and I'm fine while I'm sitting here, but as soon as I stand up, oh, I like, walk a, like 10 a quivering feet, palm. Yeah. The quivering yeah. palm. Uh, am I just going to drop dead? Am I going to, and will I be able to walk, walk across the rice paper and leave no, Oh no God, then you must have panicked. So I sit down and I'm like, what do I do? The thing to do, I'm under a lot of stress, but the thing to do is probably call the aid car. Don't be one of those people that doesn't call the aid car. So I called the aid car and they came out and the, and it was the, it was the medics. They sent the medics, which they never do. Usually they send like one of those contractor aid cars for, for whatever reason, they sent the medics, the real fire department guys. And they came in, and the, 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 there were like six of them. And the head guy, because they came in the fire truck, you know, it was like the whole, the whole oh, kid and caboodle. Comes in, he does, all, does a few tests on me, and he's like, he's got a smile on his face. And he's like, I don't think you're having a heart attack. I've seen a lot of heart attacks. I don't think you're having one. But, you know, just to be on the safe side, maybe you should go to the emergency room. And I was like, oh, all right, to be on the safe side. Now, what I didn't realize was I was just in, I was embarking upon a $8,000 afternoon because a ride in an ambulance isn't free. And then when you show up at the emergency room and they put you on the treadmill and all this stuff or they lay you in a hospital bed, none of that's free. And so later on, the bill came and I was like, you know, when he told me I wasn't having a heart attack, I probably should have just gone up and taken a cool bath. Hmm. But that began, so I still was running for office for three more months after that. But I went to the doctor. I've told you. Yeah. And she said, she said, well, this is, you finally a, landed on somebody who spoke to you in a way that was sensible to you. Yeah. So I lost the election. Oh, and what was great was I was ready in June to go to a psychiatrist but it, but I called them up and I was like, I'd like to make an appointment. They were like, great, we have a, our first appointment is in September. <laughs> I was like, it's June. They're like, yeah, it's just how it is these days. And so for the rest of the, for the rest of the campaign, I was still, I was waiting for this appointment and, you know, was still like, 
mega manic depressed through the whole the whole thing. But after I lost, I lost on the the primary was on like August fifth, and I lost, and I kind of moped around for a little while, and then I finally had the appointment, and I went in and I took, and the guy was like, "You got to take this medicine." I took it for a couple of weeks, and then it started to work. Pow! I immediately bought an RV because <laughs> you know it's working. Because I was just like, da-da! And yeah. then I went down to San Francisco with John Hodgman. I went to a party. Uh, I went to a big fancy party where there was Lobster Thermidor and Naked Jugglers. Mm-hmm. One of those uh, software parties that you went to. Not Jugglers. 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 Mm-hmm. You went to the party and then you Irish goodbye in so classic Merlin fashion. Phew. Like... Like classic, like we were all walking, you, me, and Hodgman mm-hmm. were walking together down a hall. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, so Merlin, what are you? And then you were gone. And it was a hall. I mm-hmm. didn't even see that there was a door anywhere. I'm, like stealthy. We were half, I'm stealthy. We were halfway down the hall. How did you even get out? You went oh, up through I'm the scoping, ceiling. I'm scoping means of aggress from early on. Yeah, you you pulled out your bat hook and just went straight up. <laughs> <laughs> like, My Whoa. grappling hook gun. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I tapped Hodgman and I was like, did you uh, see... <laughs> like Merlin's gone, and he was like, "What? How could he be gone? We're in a hall." Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, I think he went through a trapdoor up or down." And it, was, that, was Elon Musk there? Elon Musk was at that party. Right, That's right. right. There were a lot of there were a lot of software famouses there. I remember at one point uh, with Hodgman looking around and saying, "The only people of color in this entire party are the Asian girlfriends of oh. like software dudes." <laughs> this is not a good environment and john was like let's go and then as we were standing up to leave a fancy girl came over to hodgman and said i just want to say how important your work is to me and it was so clear that she did not feel that way because of course you can love john hodgman but it's very hard to say like his his uh ten thousand hobo names are important to you you know what I mean? She like, kind of, she kind of, it was like it was a kind of friendly hi hat, but she kind of all the great shows him a little, a little bit, yeah. But you know, John loves talking to somebody who loves his work, and so <laughs> he's so we all sat down again, and I was like, oh, just a moment, just a moment, here we go. And she, so it turns out this this woman that was telling him that she loved his work was one of the lawyers for Uber, and like like a lawyer for Uber that later on you know, like I learned hilarious things about Uber. Like basically Uber's legal strategy was not let's be in compliance with the law. Uber's legal strategy has always been, we're going to break the law. Let's use our lawyers to figure out how to do it and not get penalized. Like 100% that's their like corporate policy. Not at all about like, well, how can we do this? How can we run our business in compliance? But the opposite. Hmm. How can we not get arrested? But then her friend was standing there and her friend was like, uh, also rolling her eyes at, and we both looked at each other and, uh, you know, I'd been taking bipolar medicine for 10 days or something, or I had been working for 10 days. And I was like, Oh, well shit. Hi. Hmm. And then began, uh, uh-huh. my, two-year relationship with um, Millennium Girlfriend, who's mm-hmm. also a tech lawyer and 
and you know, we had a, we had an alternative relationship, which is like, Oh, how did I get into this? Like I'd never been in an alternative relationship. I mean, in the, except in the sense that all my relationships were alternative, but this mm. was a San Francisco style alternative relationship. Mm. And I don't know if you know about those. Mm-hmm. I, I live in the sunset. Well, so yeah, you know. Oh yeah. no, you live in the sunset, so you're you're out of it. Right? I live in the other part the, of San Francisco. Yeah, I'm not in the, the, the alternative the, part. You're on the backside of it, right? Right. I'm in the append- a, <laughs> I'm in the appendix of San Francisco. <laughs> this was this was a this was a relationship very definitely situated in the Castro. Oh boy. <clears throat> and uh, and and it was all like I well, I've been taking this medicine for just a few days, hmm. and I felt like. All my problems are solved because all of my sorrow is gone. But it was not that all my problems were solved. And the last three, well, that was 2000 and that was the, that was like October of 2015. And now we're in October of 2018. So three years later, my goodness, and all my problems were not solved by that. I was just going out of the boiling hot pot into the fireplace. <sighs> right? Yes, a less hot pot. But a a less hot, hot but pot. Still, but still a pot that's hot. It's a, yeah, it's not a, even a hot pot. But, but, but as, we, as we talk about on this show for the last three years, like mm-hmm. I'm sitting in a room right now where I could not put a coffee cup down on a table anywhere because the table is all covered with Guitar picks that have been sorted by color and shape and Cowichan sweaters that are piled up. You know, like if I wore a different sweater every day of the winter, I would wear every sweater twice. Like, Mm. you know, I have I have 50 sweaters. What is that? That is a mental illness of some kind. Well, you like sweaters. I do. They're wonderful. Mm -hmm. They're wool. They don't delaminate. But your feeling is you can't like all the sweaters. Well, or some, you got to draw a line somewhere. Mm-hmm. There are people out there who only have one sweater. Mm-hmm. And I bet you, I bet you they don't think, oh, if I only had a second sweater. That's like Tiny Tim and his little stool. Like you learn to really appreciate it. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Tiny Tim had a little stool. Well, he had a crutch. Mm-hmm. A little crutch he, for his little stool. He didn't even have, he didn't even have two crutches. He was happy. Well, Tiny Tim was happy. Yeah, I, I I think he probably felt the need to keep it light. He didn't want to be a drag. You know, last night I was I was sitting around looking at Twitter. It was bringing me down. It was two o'clock in the morning. I was sick, and I <laughs> and I sent out a tweet that was like, "Twitter's real quiet at this time of night, but it still sucks." <laughs> <laughs> Not quite enough. And I sent it out, and in the <clears throat> middle of the night, somewhere out there in, in Never Neverland, Lin-Manuel Miranda mm-hmm. replied to my tweet hmm. and said, it's familiar, but not too familiar. Whoa. So he replied to my what tweet the with, fuck? With, a, with a quote from my song. Holy shit. And then, but the thing is, Lin-Manuel Miranda has oh, started. Oh, because he knows it from the, yes. From, from the show, right. But he follows you on Twitter. That's nice. Yeah, well, and is like sitting there and he sees that tweet go by. Well, and then, so, of course, it's Lin-Manuel Miranda, so so I have, like, 60 people reply to mm-hmm. that tweet. But when I woke up this morning, before I'd looked at Twitter or anything, I was standing in the bathroom, and I was like, you know who's positive on Twitter, relentlessly positive? Lin-Manuel Miranda. He sure is. He never, 
he never says anything mean or lecturing or shitty. He never gets his back up. He never takes umbrage. He's always putting content on He never feels the, the need to explain. No, he's just like, check I admire, it out. I admire that. I think it's a, a little a little brother of the of that uh, of the anger is uh, like the defensiveness and the need to explain and he just seems but he, he's not i mean it's a little annoying but not super annoying i think in the mm. context of twitter i think he's a great a great positive force yeah he's positive and i was thinking about he, he that. tries to do he tries to do good things he tries to do good things he tries to mm -hmm. make good things he tries to spread the love i don't know why i was thinking about that except except because of like space vibes mm-hmm uh, because there's no reason for me to be thinking about him or him to be thinking about me. Hmm. But that that thing where he is, I'm not trying to say that Lin-Manuel Miranda is Tiny Tim. Mm -mm. But he is positive. That's positive. true. And where, does that, where do I get that positive? Where do I find that positivity? Sometimes it's nice to say, there's something like a reference like that. It's nice to say, I see you. I see you. I think that's that's something I try to do. I try if, when when it's appropriate. I try to say I see you. I see you. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. I try to do that too. I see you. And Which I is, love just, let's just let's just be clear. This is different from when a celebrity dies and you find a photo of yourself with them and then post the RIP thing and you try to get a little bit of that uh, recent death juice. Yeah, you try to be. That's like, not that's oh, not about you. That's not about them. That's that, that, I miss that's my about friend. You. I miss oh, yeah. my friend that I met once at a con. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Herschel from The Walking Dead was like a father to me. Okay, yeah. cool, 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 cool. But now he, he doesn't see, I mean, you know, but when he does that, he does a good thing with it. Like when he gets with the guy from uh, Dear Evan Hansen and they sing a little duo together, they're doing it for the Parkland kids. And it's like, he's just a, he seems like a good guy. Yeah. He says, I see you, John. I see you. I see you. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, very, it's, very, it's very positive. But what he doesn't do is say... I see you, and here's and here's a petition that I need you to sign. Well, actually, <laughs> maybe it is too familiar. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go heal. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Go sit in the bathtub, maybe. <laughs>